My boyfriend is a large piece of cutlery. Welcome back to the short game. This is the game. Yeah, let me do that again. Welcome back to the short game. This is the show where we talk about short games that you or your family members might play (laughs) after having downloaded them from the internet or purchased them in a retail store. Generally true. Uh, They're the kind of games that hopefully you would enjoy in an evening or a weekend. The kind of games that you can fit into your schedule. In fact, that's kind of the focus of our show is fitting games into your life. Uh, I'm your host, Reagan. And uh, I am joined once again, as always, by my bro host Shane. Bro host, that is that is him right there, and also by fancy podcaster Nate Heininger. Hello, everybody. How are things, Nate? Good. I'm uh, sweaty, real sweaty right now. You remember how Reagan used to always ask us to describe ourselves at the start of the show? How sweaty yeah. are you, Nate? <laughs> uh, damp. Damp. Ew. Damp is a good word. Yeah. I'm glad this isn't a video podcast. Are you moist? I'm definitely moist. Um, ah. I'm not moving right now, like from house to house, but I essentially am moving uh, from within my own house uh, to another part of my own house, uh, from the basement to the upstairs. Moving on up. Yeah, my two roommates just moved out. So What, did mom move out? Are- Yeah, I know that's how it sounds. I'm going to fully describe it. Uh, Molly and I lived in the basement with two other roommates, and the two other roommates moved out. No, let's clarify. You didn't live in the basement with two other roommates. You lived in the basement below two other roommates. Fine point. The other roommates lived upstairs. We lived downstairs. It's kind of a sweatshop situation. (laughs) And uh, so we've been uh, painting and carrying things, and I got a new TV today. Ooh, how big is it? fun. Uh, 43 inches. Oh, that's which a good I, size. Yeah. TVs have reasonable. been getting so huge. Yeah, exactly. And you and can get so much TV for your money now. Yeah. If you, uh, are you guys familiar with the wirecutter.com? Oh my, yes. Yeah, definitely. So I followed their article for best $500 TV and their best $500 TV was a 51 inch TV. And I just, I don't know. My living room isn't that big. It's that, that's, that's way too large for me so i found they have the exact same model the 43 inch for 375 dollars and i was like i can't beat that it took like a week and a half to get here was which was obnoxious but you know Mm. it is what it is i haven't had a tv for like a week and a half but i also don't have like a cable subscription or anything like that i just use it for my playstation and netflix and whatnot so somehow i have survived you managed ftl is on your laptop so well, that's all I do anyway. So Got that Crystal I, Cruiser? No, I've unlocked virtually every other ship but the Crystal Cruiser. So leave me alone, Shane. <laughs> Shane, how has your life been? Oh, my life has been pretty good. Um, I haven't talked much about uh, about work, but we're moving to a new, uh, a new location. And it's really driving me nuts. But uh, other than that, things are good. I think we're all preparing for or, for or undergoing moves right now. Yeah, I'm about to be uh, this coming week. 
uh, packing up the truck and moving to Beverly Hills, that is. Uh, or actually Mountain View, California. And you had that whole thing planned, didn't you? What, that? Your little joke, the little Beverly joke you just made. No, that can, came right out of my pop cultural <laughs> awareness. I don't plan okay. this shit. Yeah, I highly doubt that. Are the Beverly Hillbillies re- still popu- popular culture? I don't think so. <laughs> Ouch. Well, we are moving to Mountain View uh, this coming week-ish. And uh, that means that all of my stuff is currently going into boxes. And so uh, I've had a difficult time playing games, but I did manage to finish Transistor this week. And it's something I've been really excited to talk about on the show. From the very first minute I booted up the game, I could tell it was going to be perfect uh, to talk about on our show today. So I'm really glad we get to get started with that. Um, Does anybody have any games or other things that they want to chat about before we dig into Transistor? Despite this having been E3 week, I have very little to talk about, so I cede the floor. Yeah, the listeners may be a little confused because actually uh, Shane and I just recorded the intro to the second part of our board game special last night. And G- Give our off, listeners a little credit. They know how audio recording works. They know yes. it's not coming straight to them live when they hit play. That's true, but we record largely out of sequence. It's kind of like Memento in that way. You guys seen the movie Memento? (laughs) My favorite part about describing a podcast to somebody who has virtually no idea what it is, is when they ask, what time does it come on? I've had that question a few times. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's not how we operate here at The Short Game. We record it whenever we damn well please. We record it whenever Nate f***ing finishes painting his house. (laughs) Hey now, hey now. Y'all have waited for me. I I apologize. We have. I did have one thing that I wanted to talk about, and it's very brief because I don't have anything to like really follow up on it. But I did manage to snag an alpha key to Destiny. What? You did? Yes. Um, How did you manage this wizardry? A buddy of mine had an extra, and I complained enough apparently in his general surroundings about not being a part of it and he was like hey i've got an extra and he gave it to me and it's uh it finished downloading about an hour ago but uh i got it on saturday but i haven't had a tv so that has been the one downside to not having it but uh so it started downloading about an hour ago and i think it's finished i'll probably fire that up whenever we're done or fall asleep in a hot sweaty mess awesome so we'll expect one of the two a uh, special report on the alpha of that game uh, as soon as you've had a chance to play it. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. It looks pretty cool. I have a little bit of follow-up on our recently recorded episode about uh, Apple Design Award-winning games. Um, One of my favorites of the games we discussed was Threes by Asher Vollmer, a really great indie developer, and he's recently unveiled the sort of prototype uh, of his upcoming, his next game, which is called Close Castles. Uh, Polygon had a really good sort of profile of it and a good video, so I'll drop that into the show notes because that's probably the best way to get a sense of it. But it's actually not a mobile game, or at least uh, he actually hasn't announced what platform it's going to be on, but he was showing it off uh, playing with Xbox controllers on a computer. He seems to be working with uh, with Xbox since I know Threes is coming out for Xbox. Yeah, I think that's true, and I know that he said in the interview with Polygon that he wants it to be a console experience, 
but he doesn't yet know what platforms it might come out on, although he did seem to be kind of indicating platforms in the plural. It's a really, really simple, really cool little four-player action game that reminds me a lot of a game that Shane and I played a lot called Horde. Uh, Shane, do you remember Horde? I still love Horde, and I get anyone to play it with me that can. Have you seen Nate Horde before, Nate? No, that at, doesn't sound familiar. As a lover of board games, I think you might like it. It's a it's a game that it's I initially experienced on the PlayStation 3, uh, but it's also on Steam and on, uh, I'm sure, other platforms as well. And basically, Horde is a game where everyone plays a dragon, and it's kind Good of... Start. It's kind of like... Um, a Civ type resource management game except in reverse like the cities are building themselves all around you and the farms are building themselves all around you and it's up to you as the dragon to go and destroy all of those things you also carry off princesses or yeah you steal princesses and, and you, you create a hoard of gold uh, and the real arcadey strategy of the game comes in where you are kind of shepherding or managing the civilization that you are currently destroying because you know you might go and blaze up a farm if you have nothing better to do and 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 take the uh the resources from that or you could let the farm grow and let it send carts off to the city which will make the city grow faster and the cities are worth more points so um it's a really neat game uh, and it's a great sort of couch Co- or couch versus game where you and up to or three co-op it has friends. a co-op mode yeah i know i haven't played so much of the co-op mode uh, but you can play against or with friends uh cooperatively or against each other on a couch and it works really really well for that yeah so I-, I compare it to a board game uh because of its stylistic elements it looks like a board game it's got very kind of uh tile and uh piece uh style graphics Yeah, it does remind me of that a little bit. Uh, But uh, Close Castles, on the other hand, is far more abstract even than that. It's really just a a small-ish grid, and uh, you each have a castle in one corner of the grid, and obviously they're far too close. You have to take over the area in between. And uh, the video, it looked like a really sort of frenetic action thing where you're drawing roads between the castles in order to take over uh, territory. You're uh, placing other types of buildings. It was a little unclear exactly what was going on because it's all quite abstract. It's actually, uh, it reminded me visually a little bit of actually kind of like threes. It's very, uh, very minimal. It's a, a nice white uh, with sort of highlight color color scheme uh, but it looks like a really interesting departure from threes because it's looks like it's exclusively multiplayer so i'm excited to play it on whatever platform it happens to come out on and i, I know i'll be keeping an eye on it yeah i mean I, i've been playing threes uh for the last week or so off and on um because you know as we recorded in the last one i hadn't really played it very much but uh i actually have not managed to get past uh like on my second play i almost beat shane's record and then haven't really gotten there since but uh i had the same experience play, huh? my highest score was probably my fourth or fifth game and i haven't matched that again since it's a little embarrassing if you'd like yeah. i will share with you uh a generally winning strategy for threes go for it actually uh, yeah, fine give the people what they want but i prefer i'm gonna cover my ears because i want to beat this game on my own all right all right uh and this is by no means assures the, a victory, but you want to build towards a corner 
in threes. Um, oh, Nate's got his earphones out. He's gonna. <laughs> he's too noble. Said. All right, pick a direction in threes. It almost doesn't matter up, down, left, or right, and just do your absolute best to avoid moving any pieces in that direction. Because yeah, that's actually a general rule for 2048, too, which I've played a ton of and beaten. So I kind of adapted that in this game as well. There you go. Cool. Oh, another another tip uh, for threes, for the threes players out there. Uh, the new tiles that, that declare that they are coming in uh, above the board, uh, you can see what sort of a tile's coming in. You can tell a one or a two or a three or something greater than a three is coming in by the symbol and they will only come in in the rows or columns that have had motion in them like as you drag if you've moved tiles in three columns it could come in randomly in any of those three columns but if you are doing a swipe that moves only one tile the new tile will always enter in the same row or column as that tile I had not picked up on that, but that's actually really helpful. That might really help my game. That makes sense. I'm going to have to go back and play that some more tonight. I'm really excited to talk about Transistor. This is a game that I kind of browbeat you guys into checking out um, because I know that I was really excited from day one when I heard that uh, Supergiant Games, the developers of Bastion, were doing another game of any kind, really, and that it was a uh, game that's a clear spiritual successor to Bastion, but it's got a completely different style of gameplay in many ways as well. So uh, before we dive in and talk about that too much uh have you guys played bastion no i've not actually it's on my list i think i actually own it it's, just, it's been in know. some humble bundles so i think pretty much yeah. everyone and their dog owns it at this point and if you don't yeah, let me know i think it. i've got an extra i really liked bastion but it was a game that i um picked up on the iphone and then didn't finish and having now played transistor um Alternately, with a mouse and keyboard and with a controller, I uh, could maybe see why. This game plays so much better that way. It's gameplay-wise, it's very it's very similar to Bastion in, in many ways. I guess as the third of us, I also have to kind of confess that I never finished Bastion. You don't even have to say that anymore, Reagan. We know you don't finish games. That's the whole reason <laughs> you started this show. I started this show to give me a reason to finish games, to give me an outlet for talking well, about games. has so. it worked at all? It I, has. I, I finished so. Transistor. <laughs> oh, you finished Transistor, did you? Yeah, okay. I did. Um, Bastion was a game that I really admired but once I got about three quarters of the way in, I stopped enjoying. And I'm not I'm not sure how to really explain that. I, I just don't think I really liked its gameplay nearly as much as I've liked Transistor. But I felt like there was something there that I... And I actually may go back and try Bastion again having finished Transistor because I think it's really... Uh, I really want more and I may go back and play that game. But Bastion was entirely an action role-playing game. 
I thought it had gorgeous art. It had an interesting storytelling style that was a little bit different from most of what I'd seen. The fact that it used uh, narration throughout, something we've talked about with other games, was something pretty, uh, pretty unique about the game at the time, uh, and still stands out. Um, so Bastion was a really eye-catching and interesting indie game, but I didn't love its gameplay as much as some people did. This game, on the other hand, I think had everything that I loved about Bastion, but with a combat style that I loved even more. Uh, so where should we start? I have a lot to say about the combat, but I think we should start talk by talking about uh, the, the world and the story. Yeah. The, the game is a beautiful, beautiful art, uh, artistic style, uh, but at its heart, the game is a game about a woman named Red who is a singer who has lost her voice and she lives in a city called Cloudbank that which is a great name for a city it is and it's it's this incredible ever changing city that seems like it doesn't follow any physical laws the 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 city as you explore it um you can tell that it's more like it, the the rules that are followed in the city are like the rules of a computer and not like the rules of the real world. So it's not fully spelled out whether I, I don't think it's fully spelled out whether Cloud Bank is some sort of um, Tron esque, you know, everyone's living inside of a computer simulation or if it's just some sort of far future where, uh, you know, physics has been conquered by technology <laughs> Yeah, before we dig in too deep into what exactly is going on in the game, something really amazing about this game that I think it shares with Bastion is that it doesn't. It has a really interesting world. It has amazing visuals, and it has you know at least somewhat interesting story. Um, but it doesn't waste your time with the world building or the story. This is a game that allows you to discover just as much as you want to about the world. Um, through you know going and investigating uh, there's uh, terminals that you can go in and uh, access and read game details you can read backstories of characters but that's entirely optional the world building of the game is there for you if you want it but this game lets that get out of the way and lets you focus on the gameplay and the beautiful artwork if you want that too yeah i mean definitely part of the drive at least for me through the game was kind of figuring out what exactly is going on what is this world what's the driving force of the plot like what am i trying to do and the whole time you're just dealing with these crazy outside forces mm -hmm. the process and whatnot and you're like what exactly is the process um the process being like the name of some of the bad guys the game begins with an incredibly striking image um so visually Every moment of the game looks like a beautifully hand-painted... I would say it looks a lot like uh, Gustav Klimt. You know, Klimt, the guy who painted that painting The Kiss and uh, a lot of other famous sort of Art Deco-y things. They included a lot of gold in the paint. Do you know which artist I'm talking about? I do. Well, um, the, that's what really the style of the visuals of the game evoked for me. And in the very first moment of the game, Red are sort of a beautiful art deco maiden with beautiful red hair is standing over the body of a man who's never named in the game, who's got a gigantic sword, the transistor, through his heart. 
And this gigantic sword, when she pulls it out, becomes her companion through the game. It speaks to her, and um, and it, inside it is embodied the the function, the soul, perhaps, of the guy that she was standing over in that first frame. And her relationship with that guy, uh, who's never named, is never fully explained. The moments leading up to that moment are never fully explained in in great detail. Uh, But the mystery of that uh, and of their relationship really kind of drives you through the game. So while we never hear Red's voice because she's lost it, the narration is from the sword. We do hear her voice singing. She, yeah, she can hum. She can hum, that's true. And there are a few times where, uh, in memory, you hear her sing. Hmm. So the world of Cloud Bank is really interesting. Um, you kind of slowly discover a lot about it. But I think, Shane, you kind of hit the nail on the head in that it's it's a world that behaves like a computer. Um, the thing that it most reminded me of was uh, Cory Doctorow's Down and Out in the Magic Kingdom. Yeah, uh, I'm obviously familiar with Cory Doctorow, though I don't think I've uh, read that. Uh, it's a novel of his that's about uh, a world that's post-scarcity. And so what that means is, you know, humans have been able to create systems where they can create anything. They've got complete mastery over matter. And there is nothing that is scarce anymore because everything can be created, uh, you know, by computer. Uh, and because of that, you know, the economy essentially ceases to be an economy. The economy is no longer an economy of things or of money. It's an economy of opinion and regard. And I think that's essentially the world of cloud bank. You know, you can tell that they can create anything they want. There are polls about what color the sky should be today. And there are polls on the computers about should we build a bridge or would it be better if we left that bridge unbuilt to leave certain areas of the city inaccessible. And, you know, there's all these, uh, everything, see, uh, all the character bios have specific details in them about, about whether the person is the third most popular uh, speaker in Cloud Bank or something like that. So it seems to be a world where reputation and voting on every tiny element of the city from the weather to the architecture is... Uh, what dominates and there's no true economy of class or money. It's all about opinion and votes. Yeah. It's a really fun way to handle the kind of backstory building or, or world building where you will find a little terminal, open it up and get to vote in this month's vote for what color the sky should be. Or think, you know, like you were saying, it, it's just kind of a fun interactive way to kind of see what the world is all about. And yeah, everything is ranked. Everything is commented on. Um, when you walk so, up to objects, they'll have, like, for example, you'll encounter a uh, a hammock, and the hammock has a stat meter above it that says, you know, 13 ideas mulled at this hammock. Yeah, my favorite one that I found was the, uh, it's like, it's called the 100 stairs, and then below it, it says stairs, 115. <laughs> <laughs> Everything has these little details to them that really allude to a world without really spelling out what this world is actually like. Um, And at times, this incredibly programmatic world, you get the sense that it was a little stifling. Um, But you also get this, you know, it's it's a great fantasy. It's a really interesting world that's only hinted at in fragments rather than really spelled out for you, which I think is a really interesting way of doing things. 
Yeah, because for while we've been talking about, you know, we chose to talk about the story and the world and everything to begin with, it is a combat-driven game. I mean, you are moving from fight to fight to fight to fight. Yeah, and like I said, that's the story is is secondary to the to the gameplay, and that's a that's a great the gameplay is fabulous. And I, this game wouldn't work if the gameplay and the combat weren't super fun to experiment with. Before we leave talking about the world, what is happening in the game? What is the story of the game? Well, We've got I guess this interesting world. What is happening to Red and the world around her? The, the world is being subsumed by the process. And I think it's... it's, uh, it's the, the process is... Uh, they, they appear to be these giant white robots with big red eyes. Um, but they seem more likely to be to me sort of a um an expression of the underlying process that runs the world it's kind of a virus i think yeah a computer virus was the best way i could it's think been of. taken over by the camarada mm-hmm. and that was actually the, the camarada i think to me was the most interesting thing about the story of the game was kind of exploring the, those characters the villains as they were and I had to look that word up, by the, yeah, by the way. Yeah, no, Camerata I, generally means a small chamber orchestra. It's a Latin adjective meaning chambered or, you know, confined in a chamber. No, I, I, I also, um, I, I was pretty sure I had heard the word before. The Camerata is uh, specifically, there was a, the, I think the Venice Camerata. The original Camerata is a, uh, was a group of artists, of musicians specifically, who got together to uh, basically set the rules for artistic taste in music? Oh, that's that's really interesting because that really does. That's exactly what these characters were doing. So not to because we won't we won't go too far into the spoilers of the plot, but that's a really interesting uh, comparison. The uh, the camarada are the main villains of the game, and without explaining too much about their motives, uh, they are a small group of people who are seeming to want to wrest control of CloudBank from its citizens and their sort of voting in and take it over and and uh, make those decisions themselves. And their weapon is the process, the uh, the sort of computer virus slash uh, aggressive robots. Yeah, it seems to me that, you know, Shane had said earlier that you, know, you can't tell if the entire world is a computer or not, but... I think that might be at least partly the case because they're able to generate these robots, this essential virus, from virtually anywhere that they want to. Yeah, they spring right up out of the ground. It, in a sense, it doesn't matter whether it's, you know, everyone's living inside of a computer or nanotechnology has taken over and programmable matter is, you know, subsumed all of the world. Um, it just... Suffice it to say that the world is run in an entirely controlled, entirely systematic way, and everything is voted on. Uh, but the camarada are kind of united under the idea that, you know, when everything changes, nothing changes. Mm-hmm. So we will talk more about the end of the game and some of the outcome of that after our spoiler break. 
but let's talk about the real meat of the game. Uh, the gameplay. The, the gameplay is fighting. the meat. It's a great fighting and combat fighting and fighting. game. Mixing and matching and fighting and killing. Pausing. Planning. Pausing and timing. planning and mixing and matching and fighting and killing. And, and, and sorting upgrading. and stabbing and shooting. Yeah, which coming from my FTL obsession, I appreciated the ability to pause. So the game's combat is pretty unique for a action RPG. And I think you could class this as an action RPG. Um, it's uh, You're only really ever controlling Red. And she only ever really has a single weapon. She has the transistor, the giant sword that is also the narrator of the game. Um, but the combat is still incredibly customizable. Super deep. Yeah, well, should we talk about how you gather these new skills? The functions, yes. The functions are yeah. gathered up as, in a way, sort of the souls of the dead. Mm. So functions are the skills or attacks that you have during the game. And you start with only two. So the process of the, the, the progress of the game is mostly in terms of collecting new functions. Yeah, and you can mix and match these functions. Each function can be used as a primary attack or can be used as a add-on or what's the word? Is it? What's the uh, they have an active slot active they have slot. Uh, where you can use them as an attack, an upgrade, or a passive slot. That's what slot. I was looking for. That's right. Each one also uses a certain amount of memory between one and four chunks of your memory, which I think you'll ultimately be able to upgrade to 16 memory slots. So you've got your single weapon, but you can at any time have up to four different attacks equipped with it. Each one of those attacks, uh, as you uh, unlock the abilities, um, might be upgraded with one or even two additional functions stacked on it that would modify the initial attack, and sometimes in really cool ways. And also you've got those passive functions that sort of usually buff your defense or provide some other more passive benefit to your combat. Yeah, and so... the. It's that was definitely part of the fun of the game is figuring out like how do I play or what way do I like to play and what functions in what combination would work best. And fortunately, there's access points, which is where you're able to change these function around virtually everywhere. They kind of act as the save point for the game. And so you can mix and match all the time. The one thing I did find uh, frustrating, especially beginning of the game, is as you get hurt, your functions break and you can be reduced down to just one or uh, I've only died one time, but uh, I've certainly had a lot of functions broken. It mm -hmm. was always my favorite one. I actually think that that may be the most brilliant thing about the combat in the game, though. And when I say frustrating, I don't mean I had a problem with it like gameplay wise. I mean, it was just like, no, my favorite. Yes. Two, you know. Oh, it is really frustrating. <laughs> yeah, it's always agree. your <laughs> highest value uh, function that gets destroyed. It's the one that has the most uh, points spent on it, the most memory spent on it. Mm -hmm. So to explain that, you do have a health bar in this game, and as you take damage, it goes down. But when it reaches zero, you don't die. You lose one of your four active equipped functions. And you don't just lose it for the rest of that battle. You lose it until the end of of your next battle. So if I've got my super awesome favorite function equipped in my main slot and I'm wailing on robots with it, and then I take a sufficient amount of damage, I lose access to that function for kind of a long time, even past the next time I get to shuffle my functions around. It feels like a long time. Mm -hmm. So what that means is that 
as you take damage, you then have to really adapt and try other functions. And I think that's why this is the really smartest thing about the combat system in this game is that it absolutely requires you to experiment with the different functions. And that really, I know that when I play games where you can customize your loadout, I'll find the one thing that works for me and I will beat that loadout into the ground until it absolutely doesn't work for me any yeah, longer. And that's exactly what uh, I did in Bastion when I was playing that. I found one weapon that I thought was really effective and I played it the whole time I actually was playing that game. And this game, the whole mechanic of mixing and matching these elements, uh, the ability to use them to upgrade each other and try out completely different styles of play um, was actually inspired by collectible card games. Really? Um, yes. I read an article that said that the initial design of this game um, involved a mechanic where these functions were sort of dealt to you in a hand at the start of a battle. And that survives a little bit in some of the challenge rooms that you see in the um, weird beach area, which I, I don't recall the name of. <laughs> back door. The back door, yeah. The back door, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah the, the back door was actually too. one of my favorite parts of the game. Oh, yeah. Throughout the game, you can escape different areas into a sort of a little quiet beach that is sort of your uh, your hangout, your escape. And in that area, you can take on little challenge missions. And those are places where uh, rather than you picking all of your functions yourself, uh, they give you a specific challenge goal and a specifically assigned set of functions and usually some additional challenge like stay alive for X number of waves of opponents or kill all the process in the room within 45 seconds or within one turn or something like that. Um, and actually, that really was a great addition to the game. It, it really made me try things and see the benefit of functions that I might not have otherwise been able to uh, to work into my you know, main rotation. Definitely. Yeah. And they give you a kind of a reason to beat them. You know, they, they tell you right out of, out of the gates that this is one of seven of the timing exercise. And you're like, well, I want to beat this one so I can get to the next one. Cause I feel like a lot of people would be like oh, a training thing and would skip it. But you also get, um, extra, you know, experience or, uh, points that you level up with while you beat those. And I had a lot of fun with them, but they are, some of them were a little tricky because it kind of forces you to think outside the box a little bit and maybe understand the game in a way that you had not been playing, which is what had kept happening to me. I, I too, was kind of getting my golden setup, and then when it would break, I would do something else, but then I would, as soon as it was back, I'd put it right back on. And uh, these little challenges were a great way to kind of... I'm kind of curious. The other side worked. I'm kind of curious what some of you guys favorite setups were like, did you have one that you kept going back to? Well, so I don't know if I've said it on record yet, but you know, I haven't finished the game yet. So you guys made it a lot further than me. So I know. Well, you know, you didn't have a TV, but you did get a chance to play it enough to have, have opinions. So you're qualified. Go ahead. I certainly feel, feel good about the game, but uh, I think you guys just probably have a lot more functions than me. But uh, I really yeah, liked, I unlocked um, them all. And, and one thing I don't know if you guys were aware of, uh, once I had completed unlocking them all, there's sort of a new game plus uh, element called uh, Recursion. Mm-hmm. Once you beat the game, you can play through it again with procedurally generated new levels ad infinitum. 
and you're able to unlock a complete duplicate set of functions. Oh wow! No, I didn't actually know that, that about the uh, yeah version. Uh, you know, new I've game only plus. unlocked a couple of the second set, but if you're able to unlock a whole complete second set of the same functions and use them with themselves or with each other. Wow! Oh, interesting. Sorry, so, so Nate, you were saying what your favorite functions were? Yeah, I mean the ones that I've been using thus far a lot is. Uh, you know, crash, which is one of the first ones you get, and it's really cheap. But I would add on the one that makes it um, area effect and bounce. I think is what it was. So it would hit a lot of different characters and bounce, or a lot of different bad guys, and bounce can or crash can stun them and uh, kind of debuff them to a degree. So mm-hmm. I would do that, and then breach was probably my other favorite one. Uh, any combination of those with like load and spark. Uh, were the ones that I've been using a lot. Yeah, absolutely. The, 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 those are some of the most important ones. Crash, I think, is the most important. The first one you get, and it's the one that's most versatile in the game. Uh, it has a debuff element. It has a you know a kind of a short range, but relatively medium damage attack. Uh, when you use it as an upgrade, um, it adds stun to just about anything. And when you use it as a passive slot... Uh, it gives you damage resistance. So uh, a lot of these things have a sort of a theme to them. They each have a little bit of a, when you use one of these functions, they have some details that tells you something about it, like crash, like you mentioned. It's described as disruptive and reliable. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's also a former human or whatever these things yes. are. Crash which- is the is the main, the, the narrator. Yeah, and so they're these things that they do, they're the, the combat move is in some way kind of emulates the personality or the job or, or something about the human that it used to be. Mm-hmm. And as you uh, use the function in different ways, you unlock a little bit more of the backstory of the character. And that's something that I haven't explored enough yet because there's still some that I haven't gotten all of the backstory from mm-hmm. yet. Yeah. And that is something that I have never seen in another game. Yeah. I mean, in order like, to completely unlock the backstory, one of the things I love about the game, just one more way it encourages you to mix and match, is to unlock the complete backstory, you have to use the ability in all three ways, active, upgrade, and passive. And you have to actually use it. You can't just equip it and then not use it. Um, my favorite uh, function in the game uh, actually was one that initially I thought was almost useless. Um, when I and you don't get it until a little bit too late in the game to, uh, so I hope it won't be too much of a spoiler to describe. But there's a great function that you get pretty late in the game called Void, and uh, initially I didn't quite get it. It uh, cripples targets defense and attack, um, and it doesn't do it very much. So when I first got it. I didn't quite get it, and I didn't use it very much. But what I uh, discovered, and it says it in the text of the description, so I don't know why I missed this when I first got the function, but it stacks three times. Most of the other uh, functions, if you hit someone with it and then you hit them with it again within short order, uh, it may do some extra damage, but it's not going to, you know, any additional effects it has won't stack. But this one does up to three times. So if you uh, get it just right, you can hit someone with void several times in a row and then start hitting them with something else and you just do insane damage. And I really thought that was a lot of fun to do. Um, 
that actually is a is a great one and it combined so well with my favorite function which was the one get uh get is just a Another one that I, I initially thought was going to be kind of useless, but turned out to be super fun when combined with other functions. Uh, get is sort of a magnetic pull that if you do it on its own, it deals a little bit of damage and pulls a target towards you. But if you combine yeah, it... it can be really helpful. Oh, yeah. You can really control the battlefield. I was combining that with the void and load, which which creates a bomb. So So I had a sort of a routine that could decimate even, like, the bosses of the game in, like, a, just a handful of hits. There are some um, routines that you can load out in this game that I think are a little bit broken in terms of how 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 much damage they do. Um, well, perhaps. But one of the things that we hadn't touched on in the game is that, obviously, you can customize your loadout, and you can, you know, equip the functions into different slots. Uh, as you level up your character, you also get... Uh, benefits in terms of additional slots that you can put things into and additional memory so that you can equip more functions at the same time. But as you level up, you also get something called limiters, which are essentially disadvantages that you can equip. And uh, they that's something that I thought was really unique about the game too. If you're finding the game too easy at any time and you would like to make it harder, you can do that. You don't have to go back and change some kind of kludgy uh, you know, switch from easy to hard difficulty. You can actually go in and tune the difficulty of the game with limiters that... Uh, oh, very specifically. Yeah, they'll have uh, f- uh, effects like um, the process attacks with double strength or the process spawns shielded cells. Cells are something that the process drop and you have to pick up uh, within a short time, otherwise they'll uh, they'll respawn again. And uh, there's other things that, that that affects as well. There's all sorts of different... Um, limiters and you can equip as many of those limiters as you want so if you want the game to get harder you can make it harder and then you get a payoff in terms of leveling up faster if you have uh, a lot of limiters equipped yeah the the more difficult the limiter the higher percentage increase you get to experience gained so i i I bet a lot of people aren't out there just going, boy, I wish this game was harder and turning on these limiters. I, I think the direct <sighs> reward for making it definitely is the main reason to do it. Yeah. yeah. I turned on several of them just because I really enjoyed the challenge of the, of the limiters because they're not just, Hey, make it harder in some ambiguous way. It makes it harder in a specific way that changes the gameplay okay. a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, one of my one, favorite ones I one that I was on. playing with was was a a limiter called Priority that gives you an extra four percent uh, level bonus as you as you level up. Uh, but the disadvantage is that if you die, um, rather than losing one function, you lose two, and you can only recover one per access point. So it really trashes your functions. Uh, to be using that, which forces you even more to explore the other functions and create off-the-beaten-path uh, elements. But there's some that are really fun that just sort of, you know, multiply the number of the of the bad guys, the, the process, um, limit how much memory you can use, uh, make them respawn faster, all kinds of stuff. I thought that, that 
just everything about this game's combat system was so perfectly tuned and uh the the combination and of tunable. functions and yeah customizable the combination of functions the limiters the everything else that you could apply to your character and to the game to customize it really just made it absolutely awesome yeah and unique yeah and one thing that we didn't even really talk about was the gameplay style being a mix of um real time and strategic paused and turn based yeah, which I certainly, I, I always like that. Uh, two of my favorite games, obviously FTL, but also Fallout uh, has that. Oh, I didn't make that connection, well. but you're right. Fallout has that too. Yeah, so um, while you can just be running around, you know, spamming the attack button, you can also hit the space bar and pre-plan your attacks. And you have a limited amount of energy, so you can't just like pre-plan like you know a hundred different attacks. You've got a sort of an action bar that fills up as you plan attacks. Yeah, and the more powerful the attack, the more it uh-huh. takes up of that action bar. One of my but was, one of my biggest tips for the game is that the jaunt, when applied to uh, to boost another attack, um, w- jaunt normally allows you to do a sort of a short teleport, but when you apply it to boost another attack. It allows you to use that attack during the refilling period for your. Yep. Um, yeah, that's sort of the the downside of the. You know, if you the turn. Yeah, if you hit that turn button and you go into this sort of paused mode where you can plan out several attacks in advance and then execute them really really quickly, you know, you're you pay for that in terms of after you've done that. There's a cooldown period where you can't do any actions at all you can only run around so uh that's a good tip shane i didn't actually realize that you could uh tweak that mm-hmm. yeah it allows you to keep fighting while uh while there's the cooldown because that was something that kind of took me a little while to catch on is that i would just hit spacebar virtually every single attack do my plan and then scurry around hiding from them until the cooldown went down and then hit space bar again, do my plan. And I, it, for whatever reason, it didn't really dawn on me that, I mean, you can just run around uh, using your attacks as normal with virtually no cooldown. So depending on the battle, sometimes it's good to, to pre-plan it and do these things. And sometimes it's okay to just run in there like Baldur's Gate style, swinging <laughs> around, you know, swinging at all of them until they're all dead. Yeah, I yeah. tended to use the turn on the sort of big bads. And then with the little guys, things like the uh, snapshots and the bad cells, I tended to just go at them with, uh, you know, guns ablazing without trying to bother with the turn. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I tended to um, have a big area of effect vortex that just sort of sucked people in and damaged them over time uh and that just dump that on as many bad guys as i could uh but then during the turn recovery i would back off uh and i had the attack breach which is a long range attack that penetrates and can basically hit anything that you can see uh and i used that along with the jaunt uh, uh effect so i could use it during turn recovery uh, and in addition, I used that with ping, which make, made it even faster. So uh, you could just con- basically spam that at any time. Fun combo. So yeah, yeah, tons of customization to the combat. And it had a lot of deep uh, strategy while still maintaining a really good pace and being fast. Um, something you mentioned there, Nate, that actually kind of struck me as interesting. So you played this game with a mouse and keyboard. 
Yes. I played it both with a mouse and keyboard and with a controller. And so. I only played it with a controller. So I would love to hear your thoughts on the different control schemes. This is a game that gives you both options and uh, really invites you to try both because there's no setting for it. You can switch back and forth. Hit a key on your keyboard and suddenly you've got keyboard control. Uh, hit a button on your gamepad and suddenly you're controlling with your gamepad. Yeah, there are certainly games that I feel like, you know, it's just a disadvantageous to be on a mouse and keyboard like i played octodad with a controller because like i just you know i felt like that was natural but and any uh nowadays with any like uh, first person shooter i tend to have a controller but i it's always been a very first person shooter with a controller Ugh. well because of my uh i know when i used to be all mouse and and keyboard but uh I all the first person shooters I've been playing for the last like eight years have been on console. So I've lost that, that Twitch movement other than uh team fortress two. But uh, it's always been a very natural feel to me, the mouse and keyboard gameplay. So it, it, I didn't, I mean, I thought it was great. I thought it made a lot of sense, hot keys all over the place. Uh, you know, I actually yeah, pretty well. didn't play this with a mouse and keyboard at all. The very first time I picked this game up to play it, uh, I had just installed it, but then I felt like going to bed, and so I grabbed my NVIDIA Shield, and so it just became a real natural thing to play it with a controller. Um, and by the way, it played great on the Shield. And um, so I played it entirely the entire way through with a gamepad. I was three-quarters of the way through before I realized it even had keyboard controls. Um, but this is a game that is super well-optimized for both. They just did an, a remarkable job with that. I would say that Perhaps when you're doing the turn planning, that maybe the keyboard and mouse would be a slight advantage in terms of just easy point and click. Um, but then when you're doing the active, you know, run and gun style of gameplay, I'd say maybe the gamepad would be a little bit preferable. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And Shane, you said it you played a little it with both. Sometimes. Yeah, I uh, managed to switch back and forth a couple of times, but personally, I, I did find I, myself early in the game preferring the mouse and keyboard but later in the game as I got more and more used to playing in real time and only using the turns when it was an emergency I found myself playing more with the gamepad because the biggest difference between playing with a mouse and keyboard uh, and the gamepad is that you can customize this when you customize the controls but on the keyboard you are switching weapons with the numbers you're switching and then you're activating with the right click. Um, but on the gamepad, it's there is no switching. You have all four buttons available to you at all times. Um, in the settings, I did discover that you could uh, set the game up such that pressing any of the numbers would immediately fire off that weapon. Uh, but I never actually played with that. I just sort of hmm. grabbed my gamepad. Interesting. That's interesting. I might try that. I mean, I have a controller as well that I could use, but mm -hmm. usually once I've chosen one, I don't switch back and forth. Mm -hmm. So this game came out about a month ago, and it got a fair amount of buzz. And I'm I'm glad to say that I, I think it uh, it seems to have been a success, so at least it seems like it from the gaming press that it got. Um I know that I picked this game up very shortly after it launched uh, because I was so excited about it. Uh, and that's something that I've been trying to do more of. I've been trying, I have, I think we've talked about this on the show before. I kind of have a habit with a lot of games of kind of trying to 
uh, wait for a sale or wait for a bundle. Um, and sometimes that's I really think that's good. What, I think that's what a lot of people do. Unless it's a particular title that you're excited about, a lot of people wait. Uh, until yeah, s- summer sale, which is coming up, and that's will fine. have already been done by time. This oh my is, gosh! Oh man, <laughs> the summer sale will probably be done by time this is uh, aired. So uh, I can't I've wait. Got some Maybe Steam credits burning a hole in my Steam wallet. Oh man! Yeah, I know. I, Transistor is going to go up for like a dollar. <laughs> I doubt and that. I'm going to no. Me too. Brand new but. game. It's twenty bucks right now though, which actually feels like such a bargain. I think this game is worth every cent of that twenty bucks. And uh, if you have uh, either of the platforms is available on, this is right now available on Windows PC and on the PlayStation 4. And actually, uh, Nate, what made you decide to get it for your computer instead of the PS4? Lack of TV. Oh, right. <laughs> oh, what a bummer. I, I was going to get it on PS4. I, I certainly was. Uh, but yeah, just I didn't have a, a, a way to do well, that. So. plug your, your computer into your television and... I've fake it. I've considered that. I've actually I've never done that, but one thing that I uh I heard about the PlayStation 4 version that intrigued me is that when the uh when the transistor speaks, it flashes the controller in blue. Oh, that's neat. Yeah, they, along they with do its, some, its voice. They do some kind of cool stuff with the controller. I mean, it's all like super simple, but uh in Infamous cuz the the controller has that big be- that big light bar right across the front of it in infamous you had a you would like spray painting was an element of the game and you would hold the controller sideways and hold it like a spray can and you would shake it and the little microphone or a speaker that's in the controller made it sound like there was a little you know spray can (laughs) a ball in there and the vibrate aspect of it made it kind of feel like you were shaking a, a spray paint can but they actually would make the beam the the light bar the color of the spray oh that's that neat you were you were doing yeah and and the most practical use though i have found so far of of the light bar on the playstation 4 controller is uh like with mercenary kings that molly and i play all the time uh it just glows a different color player one player two <laughs> so you know right away we'll put down the controllers for a little bit and come back and know right away whose is whose because it's glowing the correct color also I, I that seems like it would help me with my constant losing of my controller <laughs> if it was blaring lights and making sounds <laughs> i lost the uh so i set up the tv today and i lost the remote in like four minutes, I could not <laughs> find it. It drove me crazy. I tore apart. Oh, that's terrible. Falling down underneath the couch. And if it's like a so modern classic. TV, without that thing, you are out of luck. Well, yeah, you got to get to HDMI one. Mm-hmm. It, it, you know what they need to do? This drives me crazy. Put a little button on your your remote links with your TV. They can do that. It's the future. And there's a little button on your TV that you press, and your remote beeps. Why doesn't that exist? Why doesn't that exist? That's It'd crazy. Be so easy. Yeah. The only the only reason I can think of is that like cuz you can get other remotes and all that. The remote know? control so, would cost, you know, 50 cents more and that's not Yeah, whatever. Happen. That's fine. Instead, people are velcroing them to the walls and like tying strings to them and it's like, "Come on. It, we should be able to do this. I can go on my computer and make my phone beep anywhere in the world. I should be able to press a button on my TV. I literally haven't seen beep. my television's remote in months. <laughs> I just, I get up and go walk over to the TV like an animal. <laughs> yeah. Come on. What is this? The, you know, 50? what am I, a Jeez. farmer? 
Yeah, come on. Train your dog to do it for you. I know. You should. She's yeah. so, kind of smart. Yeah, she's all right. There you go, world. That one's for free. You guys, TV, all the TV producers, production companies that listen to our podcast, you can have that one. I just want to see it happen. All zero of you. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, guys, this was a really great episode. Thanks for joining me. Um, I... Uh, I had a lot of fun talking about this game, and I had a ton of fun playing it. Are we um, not going to talk about the ending? Oh, shit. You're right. Oh, we should talk about the ending. Hey, um, so now we're going to talk about the ending of the Let's game. Let's off the spoiler horn at least before we freaking yeah. sign Excuse out. Me. You wanna... we're, not, we're not ripping off the incomparable. We have our own thing. This is the spoiler break. <laughs> I am singing about what it's like to live in a computer. I'm just going to leave all of that I, my in, name guys. Is Red. <laughs> you, you guys just need to be careful. My boyfriend is in. a large piece of cutlery. I choose my words very carefully, Reagan. You can do what you want with them. <laughs> so what about the ending of the game? Um, do you guys have any thoughts about it? Because I, I think I have it lots of thoughts about it. it didn't you don't know as much it. as I was... <laughs> Expecting. So the characters are one of the most I- I- interesting aspects of the game to me, especially the camarada. So there's four members to the camarada, and you fight each one of them. Uh, there really are the bosses of the game. Well, I, that actually, that that, sorry, himself? scratch that. There, you you fight um, most of them. Um, there's the two guys that uh, one of whom they kill themselves together. Is that right? Yeah, something like that. They're I think they're lovers. Yeah. Um, anyhow, you, you start off by fighting Sybil. She's the first boss and she's sort of described as the eyes and ears of the camarada. Um, you kind of, she's this, uh, woman with a parasol and the, uh, she, um, she's described as sort of a social butterfly who basically is their view, uh, the, the camarada's eyes into, Kind of the voting populace of Cloud Bank. Yeah, she um, kind of came off as like the spy to me. In a like way, not many, yeah. Not many people knew that she would, you know, she was in with all the, you know, rich people and all that. Mm-hmm. In in this society that's clearly so democratically organized, like she seems like the social engineer of the group. And then you've got, uh, you go up against these two guys, Asher Kendrell and Grant Kendrell. Or Kendrell, I guess. And the the guy Asher is sort of described... I think he's the administrator? No, he's the other one. He's the guy with the cat. He He's one of the only characters you interact with to any great extent. Is he the one that you interact with? No, I'm thinking of Royce. Royce is the one that you interacted with through the little floating television screen. That's right. Okay. Grant is the one who you never meet because he's killed himself by the time you get to them. Uh, but he, I think, is the one that created or that harnessed the process. And he was an administrator of the systems of cloud bank. And, uh, he founded this group and he, uh, it seems like sort of, there's these, there's these administrators that, and he's among them. And, and that's sort of one of the most computery elements of, of the world of cloud bank is the, the idea that there's these administrators that keep the systems running. Yeah, one of the most fascinating things was that once you get past the point where he is dead and 
most of, it seems, the rest of the population of CloudBank is dead. By default, as you approach the uh, the terminals, you have administrator access as well. Because, well, presumably there's no one else to be the administrator, so why not you? Yeah, uh, and that kind of leads me to the question of, like, what is the transistor? It's kind of described as a brush that paints the world, and it seems like it gives gives you... It, well, it explicitly gives you read-write access to the world of CloudBank, the ability to kind of change things once you have full access to its powers. Yeah, we're kind of speculating, but my perspective on it is that if this is a world where all decisions are made by vote, then if you can get a weapon that you know contains multitudes, and it's implied that the transistor contains far more than just the people that you see go into it, uh, then perhaps that gives you rights to make changes. Anyway, kind of an interesting little aspect to it, but you, you you have to really dig in the game to to tweeze out these little uh, world building mechanics. You know how the world of Cloud Bank works. Uh, you do finally get to a really fun boss battle at the end of the game when you face off against Royce, who's the final member of the Camarada, who just has great voice acting. How would you describe him? He's kind of quiet, and he wants you to really listen to him. He's He's got a lot of strong opinions, but he doesn't want to really raise his voice at all. <laughs> he's really actually a, a, a kind of an unsettling villain. Uh, really interesting. And then the... That was beautiful. That was you. a great impression. And the final battle is really interesting because he also has a transistor. Um, you know, he has this sort of a copy of your yeah, transistor. Yeah, it seems to me in that final battle they go into the transistor, much like so many people so far have, and they're fighting within it. Uh, and the the world, uh, essentially, inside of the transistor is one of the bigger mysteries of the game that I think is not very well explained, if it's explained at all. But it's symbolized by... It's symbolized by um, people uh, are shown standing in a field of wheat next to a barn. And there's a uh, persistent metaphor in the game about people who have died going to the country, and I think it's sort of related to Kind that. of reminds me of, like, what happened to our dog when we were kids, Reagan. Yeah. He went to a farm. Yeah. All dogs do. Oh, yours, yours as well. There's a lot of farms out there. I wonder if our dogs, dogs are friends, Nate. Can I tell a funny sidebar story? Uh, I'll make it quick Absolutely. about that. About that. So when I was uh, uh, early teenage, maybe 12 or so, our family dog did go to live on a farm. And I kind of thought maybe my parents were making it up. It wasn't a farm, but it was a, like a farm-esque situation. But my older brother, who was really attached to the dog, we had to get rid of him because the dog had essentially gone crazy and was just unable to live in a normal household. So they had to do something with him. And until about a year ago, and so this happened about 15 years ago maybe, until about a year ago, my brother believed and resented to a degree my parents because he thought that they had put him down and were lying to him when in reality they're like no and they like had the paperwork to show like like they actually found it was like a golden retriever rescue society that they they brought the dog to but my brother from like childhood <laughs> thought that they had lied oh, and always was like my parents killed my dog and only found out and he's like 30 something now and found out in his 30s because he like 
he's like, you killed my dog. And they were like, what are you talking about? And it all came spilling out for like, you know, however long he'd been holding it it in, uh, upset with them for take, killing his dog. Uh, like, no, we actually did what we said. We took him to it. Uh, quite the opposite. <laughs> I spent uh, I spent the other day Father's Day with with our dad, our dearest father, Reagan. Uh-huh. And uh, oh, no. he, is there a story here that I don't know about? There is. Oh, so, no. do you remember us ever owning a dog named Fido? No. Good movie. No. Because we did. No, I remember <laughs> Mood. That was our first dog. No, before that dog, we had a dog named Fido that had to be put down. <laughs> we did? I had no yes, idea. We did. How old yes, were we? Yes, we did. And I uh I couldn't have been that old. We we, we would have been we would have been about 8 years old. I don't know. Well, or se- no, seven no, or eight younger years old. than that. I can't because we got moved when we were. Geez, you've blown my mind. I'm going to have to mm-hmm. totally figure this out now. All right. That's something for an- another podcast. I had no idea. That's hilarious and also messed up. So, to conclude our discussion of the ending of Transistor, it's got this great. Speaking boss of dogs. At the end. Yeah. The worst enemy in this game, I don't know if you guys agree with me, was the freaking Fetch. dogs. Oh, Those my God. Those things show up on the. If, if you're playing this game. And you've already skipped past the spoiler break. Uh, I don't know. Uh, there's no help for you here. It's too late to give gameplay tips. But if you see a dog-shaped creature appear on the screen, just go all out at it. There is nothing else you can do. You have to kill that thing right away. Otherwise, uh, those things are just too fast. If, if I have I one lost, gameplay thing that I'll complain about. I lost all about, my functions. They are dog. too strong, those dogs. They're called uh, fetches, I think, in the game. Yeah. And as as you play through, they get upgraded. So they'll be like fetch 3.0. And it's like, oh, God damn it. They upgraded those things again. Yeah, they are really they are the most irritating um, process in the game. But I don't know. They're um, I, I think it's it's good because there's actually not a lot of others that really come after you aggressively. A lot of the other uh, uh, robots or process kind of hang back a little more and uh, attack you more indirectly where those things are real chargers. They come right at you. Yeah, and if you uh, is it the weeds that'll heal things? Oh yeah, um, and so that was my first encounter with the. Fetch I didn't realize that dog. the weed things were healing the enemies until I had already beaten the game once and had started playing it again. See, I realized it because the stupid dog. I would get it down to like forty health, and then I would have it would run away and be like, "Good, it's gone for a second. That gives me a second, and it comes back full health, and it's like. You've got to be kidding me. So I'm just being bit by this dog while I'm popping around trying to kill these weeds. Obnoxious. Awesome. Not awesome, Reagan. It was not awesome at all. That You're thing right. was awful. Those things are horrible. When you speak, I hear silence. Every word I defiance. I can And on that note, anybody have any last final thoughts to leave us with? 
I no, I was I was a little concerned. Like you said, twenty dollars is worth it, and that like just I'm so like you know jaded at this point from especially through Steam. Like I I'll still spend high dollar on uh, console games because you have to, but for computer games, I'm so jaded by the bundles and the Steam sales that twenty dollars feels like a lot sometimes. But within the first scenes, you can just tell how much work was put into this game and how. Uh, you know, beautiful it is, and the gameplay is so slick. I think it's absolutely worth it. Absolutely, definitely. the The production value is fabulous. The art is beautiful. So much of it is just so carefully drawn and painted. It's very, very beautiful. Yeah, we talked about Monument Valley recently, and how pretty much any moment in that game you could print out and frame. I wouldn't go quite so far with this game, but I'd say that a lot of the art of the game has that quality. Um, in fact, why one complaint about the game is that the character model for Red, which as I understand was actually done as a 3D model and then sort of um, turned into a variety of sprites and kind of hand, uh, hand touched up. Uh, so Red and all of her animations are actually um, hand drawn in a sense, but they're, they're based on a 3D animated model. Um, Red is a gorgeous character model. And if you really squint at her, there is a ton of detail going on in every moment, every animation that she does, uh, you know, down to the way that her, you know, dress moves when she uses her sword, but it's too small. She's really small on screen. And if you're playing on a screen that's anything less than a gigantic 1080p television, you're going to miss a lot of the cool detail that's going on with her animations. So if you can play this on a large screen and sit close up, that's what I would recommend. Just appreciate the beauty, man. Mm-hmm. Yep. Gorgeous game. Yeah. I, I think my final thought on the game, um, really I had something that I wanted to say. I keep doing this. <laughs> I'm very, sorry. I'm an my editing final nightmare. Is non existent. My final thought is just get this game, guys. It's yeah. a good game. You should play hey, man, it. Just get this game. Just try it. You like it. If you don't like it, just just tell me and I'll give you an extra twenty bucks, maybe so you can make your rent money. <laughs> just try it. Ugh, Check it out. Just try it. All right. Check it out. Well thanks guys for joining me on this episode of the short game. This was actually a game I've been really looking forward to talking about on the Definitely. show, so I'm glad we got it. Yeah. This is one of my favorite games. We're we've well played. aware, Reagan. Yeah. I will say how you know how much I enjoyed this game? How much? I had work this morning. Last night, I beat this game, and I stayed up late to play an extra two hours of playing it again the second time. That's, that's how much I love this awesome. game. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, that's uh, definitely a ringing endorsement. I think I'm going to try it with a gamepad just to see what Yeah, the... check it out. Yeah. So, check of course, out. you can pick this up on Steam. You can pick it up uh, on the uh, on the PlayStation 4, ESN. and you should do that. Um so thanks for joining us for this week on The Short Game. Uh, you can check out our show on Twitter, which is at underscore short game, or we're going to be listing all of the links for things we may have talked about during the show at our show notes page. Where can people find the show notes, Shane? Theshortgame.net. Wait, you said Shane. Though, you can so find the say. show notes at theshortgame.net. That is exactly right. And you can find uh, me on Twitter at Reagan K. I spell that a little funny. It's R-A-Y-G-A-N-K. How about you guys? Ray Gank. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at NateSTL. And I, can I plug uh, our friends thing again? Oh, naturally. Um, and I want to plug uh, a good Let's Play series 
called Game Plus, which I think you actually said in its native form earlier in the in the podcast, Shane. But uh, it's called Game Plus. Two of the funniest people I know play old and new games. It's totally worth a watch. How do you get in cover? A. B. 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 <laughs> get out of my way, I went in the elevator. That's my terrible Batman voice. But that was a Batman voice? I thought you were just like a dog or something. Rachel! <laughs> Where is she? Where is she? <laughs> they are really good. And Shane, where can people find you? You can find me at 8BitShane, the number 8B-I-T-S-H-A-N-E. Awesome. Um, and what's the email address for the show? Our show has an email address. It is info at theshortgame.net. And we love to hear from you. You can also drop us a line in the contact form on our website. And so we really appreciate any feedback that you guys want to give, particularly if you have games that you think we might want to cover and that you'd like to suggest, or if you have comments about the games that we've already played. We love hearing from you. So thanks so much for joining us for this week on The Short Game, and we'll see you next week. Thanks, guys. Cool. Cool, cool, cool.